Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today, we're going to get to meet two members of the St. Louis band Cave of Swords. They have new music out after a four-year hiatus. They'll explain what inspired their new album and what took so long to get it done. First, though, there is a new movie that you can screen beginning tomorrow. You might be particularly interested in this one if you're Italian or if you love St. Louis history. Even better if both are true. The film is a one-hour documentary that tells the story of the Hill neighborhood and the Italian roots that go all the way back to the area's clay mines. It had been a spa in the early 19th century, and then it had been a home for French Icarian communists. And then someone discovered in the 1870s, 1880s, that the clay there was perfect for making brick tile and terracotta and fire brick. There were some clay mines there that, are, that spread out underneath what is currently the hill. And there was a Belgian mining company that owned the mines. And the Belgian mining company had a recruiting office in a town called Cugiono, Italy, which is in the province of Milan. These particular places lost nearly half their population. Some of the towns literally lost half the population between 1890 and about 1920, with the majority of those folks ending up in St. Louis. And life on the hill for its earliest residents, these Italian immigrants, often wasn't easy. That's something the film makes clear. There's a great saying that was common in this particular Italian immigrant community that they said, uh, we were told that the streets there were paved with gold. And when we got there, we found that they weren't paved with gold. In fact, they weren't paved at all. And then we found out that it was us that was going to have to pave them. When we come over, when we hear about America and Europe and Sicily, you look like you go to paradise. But when you come here, it's a winner. <laughs> it's no paradise anymore. And the film takes the story from those clay mines to Yogi Berra and Joe Garagiola all the way to the present day. It's called America's Last Little Italy, and it's part of Cinema St. Louis's 20th Annual Filmmakers Showcase, which kicks off tomorrow. And we're joined now by Joseph Paleo. He is the director and producer of America's Last Little Italy. So, Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Your film answers a question that I have wondered about for a long time, and that is why this relatively flat neighborhood is called The Hill in the first place. What's the story there? Yes, the, uh, as, as you just heard, the, the clay miners, um, when, they would when they would walk out um, from working in the mines, they would have to walk up a hill. And uh, they would yell out, La Montagna, La Montagna, in this dialect. Uh, which loosely translates to the mountain, uh, which then got Americanized into the hill, the hill. So that's how the hill got its name. I guess I'd be even more confused if the neighborhood went by the mountain. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> not a mountain. <laughs> no, the, the hill is definitely a, a better name for it. Well, so there's a lot of great stories in this film, and it really tells one great story, which is the story of this neighborhood. What made you want to explore this particular neighborhood in film? Well, our executive producer, Rio Vitali, um, he's the one that came to me with the idea. He had actually written a book on the hill, 
Um, and he, he came to me and pitched this idea of, you know, let's, let's get down there. Let's go make a documentary on the hill. And, you know, a lot of books had been written and there had been, um, you know, stories told on, uh, you know, PBS uh, about different restaurants and um, the toasted raviolis, etc. But no one had really done a comprehensive documentary uh, on the hill. So that's, that's really what piqued my interest. Um, but the main thing that had happened was um, some of these older residents of the hill um, were beginning to pass away. Mm. And Rio, this kind of lit a fire under Rio that, you know, we need to get down there now and get these stories while we still can. So um, it, was, it was in uh, late May of 2018 uh, that he pitched us this idea. Myself and my co-producing partner, Steve Kukuris, uh were pitched this idea. And within five days, all three of us were down on the hill and we were, we were filming interviews and um, we just finished the project um, uh, last month. So it's, it's, been, it's come full circle in these last two years to this film that we, that we now have. And you do get so many of these old timers to go on camera. Were they eager to tell their stories? Yes, I mean, that's the thing. None of, a lot of these people, um, none of them have ever been asked any of these questions. They had hmm. never been interviewed. Um, and so they, they were all really um, eager and, and excited to be able to share this um, with our crew. And I think that comes across in a lot of the interviews, the fact that Yes, we do have experts and historians um, leading the way, but when you're able to get those firsthand um, experiences from these people that lived it, I think that really grounds the film. Mm -hmm. It absolutely does. And you also got some great footage just seeing some of these, um, you know, weddings or people out on the square, mm -hmm. people in front of St. Ambrose um, with so many of these longtime residents agreeing to be on camera. I had to wonder, were some of these their home movies? Yes, we were very lucky that multiple Hill families came forward um, with eight millimeter reels that they were willing to donate to us hmm. um, to use in the film. Um, one of the families was actually my own family. So that, that meant a lot to me to be able to, uh, to share, um, you know, my family's history and background in this film that, that I now am directing. Um, it, it was just, you know, I don't think, I, I would often think, you know, um, you know, my grandparents or the fact that, you know, when, when this stuff was being filmed of them, uh, you know, in the in the 50s and 60s uh, to, to think now that in 2020 this is going to be, you know, shared hopefully to the masses. Um, it, it's pretty uh, it's a pretty incredible thing that 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 this has come full circle. Yeah, that personal connection is, is very cool. Um, now, you make a lot in this movie of um, uh, this uh, divide between the Italians mm -hmm. who had come here from Sicily and the Italians who had come from the Lombardy re region in yes. northern Italy. Which side was your family on? We're Sicilian. So uh, I think that kind of helps with my ability to, to be able to talk um, about the fact that, you know, the Sicilians were looked down upon um, mm -hmm. by the northern by the northern Italians. And, uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily it's, it's not necessarily seen to the same extent as it is today. But, you know, in Italy, there is still that divide. And, um, 
that's one of the things that we get into in the film. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear people talk about this. Was it hard to get them to be frank about um, this prejudice? You know, you had some northern Italians explaining that their parents did not want them hanging out with Sicilians, much less marrying them. Uh, yeah, that was, you know, really it was, you know, you could tell that they were kind of, uh, you know, walking on eggshells a little bit. But after, you know, that was one of the questions I would always kind of wait, wait for, um, you know, uh, after after you've kind of got them warmed up and and get comfortable with you to where you're just having a conversation, you're able to kind of slip those kind of questions in and hopefully hopefully get a true um, reaction to it without you know necessarily thinking about well how is this going to come across on camera? We really wanted to just tell the the truth of the matter and we we were lucky enough that 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 was able to to come through. We're talking to filmmaker Joseph Paleo about his new film, just finished last month. Um, it's called America's Last Little Italy. It's part of Cinema St. Louis's 20th Annual Filmmaker Showcase that kicks off tomorrow. It's all streaming, uh, so you have no excuse not to watch these films. Uh, Joseph, one of the key figures in this film is someone who is new to me. I imagine he will not be to anyone who lived in St. Louis in the 60s, and that is Monsignor Salvatore Polizzi. He was the powerful mm -hmm. priest at St. Ambrose for many years. Let's listen to a clip from the film. Uh, where people talk about Monsignor Polizzi. He had a charisma. I personally witnessed people who said and could not stand Monsignor Polizzi. But if he called them and said, I need you to do this, those people who would talk so bad about him would do exactly what he asked them to do. He just had that sort of charisma. Yeah. People believe he drove around with a ruler in his, in his car, you know, because if your grass was a certain height over, he would knock on your door and say, it's time to cut your grass. And then you'd go to uh, confession and confess. He goes, wait a minute. I know a couple other things you did for him. You better, bring, you better t tell me those two. <laughs> okay, okay, Father. Oh, no, he would take a walk through the school. I would say he's he's probably like a CEO of a big corporation, and The Hill was his corporation. And that's from America's Last Little Italy. Uh, now, Joseph, many of your interviewees credit uh, Monsignor Polizzi for saving the neighborhood. Do you think they're right about that? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, in a time during the 60s and 70s when a lot of these uh, ethnic Italian neighborhoods across America were going under, Polizzi really sees this and decides that he's not going to let this happen to the hill. The hill is too important to to let this happen to to, to let the hill um, go under, and uh, Polizzi really decides to um, enact a way to keep it from going under, which is the Hill Two Thousand, which is the neighborhood organization, um, in which there was two mottos at the time. It was Pride builds and don't move and prove. <laughs> Basically the thought was, we, if, if we make the neighborhood as nice as possible, people won't wanna leave. Because at this time you have people, you know, kind of fleeing to the suburbs um, from the city in search of a better house or uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the hill houses are small and he understood that, but you know, his, his whole selling point was, you know, the hill is special. Um, are you going to know your neighbors? Are you going to are you going to be able to um, are you going to have a beautiful church? Are you going to have all the things that the hill offers you um, in the suburbs? Um, 
And so that really was one of the key things for him was, was getting the people to stay. Now, if you were going to possibly leave the neighborhood or, or you passed away, the Hill had a list in which um, people from the neighborhood were putting their name on that when a house became available, we would be able to connect uh, you know, a piece of property with uh, someone on this list that wanted to stay in the neighborhood. And that really was one of the key ways in keeping the neighborhood Italian um, in a move that pays off to this day. Um, I don't think myself and you would be having this conversation right now if it wasn't for Father Polizzi because this, this neighborhood wouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. So there would be no documentary. It would just be like every other uh, Little Italy across America in which it's a tourist attraction and you know they have restaurants and trinkets that they're selling and the hill has all that as well but the hill also has this deep rich tradition in which these people are passing their houses down from generation to generation and that really was started you know by Polizzi in this in this attempt to keep this ethnic identity and um you know i think the ends justify the means in the fact that the the hill truly is america's last little italy because of this now, you say that ethnic identity, and that is so important with The Hill being what it is today, but the film really never, it doesn't really grapple with what I think some city residents would say is also the corollary of that. And that's the idea of, you know, with a private list like this, that black residents ended up getting shut out of this neighborhood. Did anyone go deeper on that subject with you? You know, my, my whole thought process uh, in doing this film was never to go outside of the neighborhood um, in terms of what other people were, were thinking of the hill. I wanted to keep it as insular um, as possible just to have them tell their story. This would be a completely diff different documentary um, if I was going to go into um, that area of the film with these other different perspectives. And, you know, that was something that we made a conscious decision of uh, to make sure that you know, we're, we're just telling the Hill story. We're not telling the story of, you know, St. Louis. We're telling the story of the Hill, which just so happens to be in St. Louis. Hmm. Now, a number of the folks who appear um, within your film, they describe the Hill as almost like a cocoon, like saying that it ended up being shielded from the upheaval of the 60s and the 70s. And here's what resident Bob Steckan and former resident Furman Pericelli had to say about that. Things were changing back in the 60s. And a lot of things on the, you know, around the nation were changing, but it seemed like on the Hill, things really didn't change. It's, it's kind of stayed the same. There was an insulation. I grew up uh, with uh, Martin Luther King and the Vietnam War. Yeah, we had longer hair, but I don't think we really knew about all that was going on. We knew more about uh, Christopher Columbus and America Vespucci than other people who were the heroes of the day. And again, that's from America's Last Little Italy. Do you think that insulation that they described there, do you think that remains the case still today? I, I don't I don't know how, um, no, I don't, I don't think that that's true. I think that a lot of, um, you know, the Hill has definitely evolved since that, since that time. Um, but, you know, you gotta go back and think, this is a time, there's no social media, there's, you know, only a handful of channels on, on the television. So, you know, what did these people know? They knew their neighbors. They knew their school. They knew their church. You know, and the Hill was 
you know, definitely at that time, a self-sufficient area where everything that these people needed was was available on the hill. So, you know, we get we get into that um, in the film, the fact that, you know, a lot of these people, these people, a lot of them didn't even have cars, you know, or they would just walk the neighborhood that, you know, they many of them worked on the neighborhood, worked in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously you're going to have that when when all you know is an Italian community um, that you've lived in your entire life. That's that's obviously going to, um, you know, kind of kind of uh, have a cocoon like effect on many of the residents. Mm -hmm. But at this point in time, I think that, you know, um, that's not the case anymore. Obviously, the people of the hill uh, now leave the neighborhood and they also, you know, they they have access to social media and and, you know, television and all of these things that that uh would would help shape um you know would help shape that that thought process of of being more um aware of all the things going on in our country mm -hmm. that wider world uh the door has been yes. opened and, and it's there now we're talking to filmmaker joseph paleo about his film america's last little italy it's part of the filmmaker showcase that kicks off tomorrow we need to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation this is st louis on the air on st louis public radio that's 90.7 kwmu support comes from the missouri forest products association Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. In just a minute, I want to talk about some of the other offerings at the 20th Annual Filmmaker Showcase. But first, we've been having a really interesting conversation with filmmaker Joseph Paleo about America's Last Little Italy. This is a one-hour documentary about the Hill neighborhood. Um, and we have a caller who would like to join us and um, I think has a story to tell. Um, so let's go to the phone lines. Jerry is calling from O'Fallon. Jerry, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Good afternoon. Yes, I, I had a film in the showcase in 2015, so I know how hard it is to, to actually complete a documentary film. Uh, my family have deep roots in the hill. Uh, all four of my grandparents immigrated from uh, uh, Italy, mm. and uh, my father's family uh, was, uh, he grew up on the hill, all of his friends. I, our second generation, all the people I knew, my cousins, I mean, we used to hang out at Roses 40 years ago, which was a great mm. place. The hill really is like a small town. It's, it's uh, you know, you, you, you'd go to, to Roses, and it was a very multi-generational uh, uh, group there. But um, the thing I always found interesting was my late grandmother, my maternal grandmother, uh, died at the age of 80 in 1976. But up until a couple of years before she died, uh, she often went back to Italy uh, to visit, hmm. and all of my grandparents, their uh, their age group, it was interesting that they, uh, when you would ask them if they ever wanted to, to go back, they all had the same answer. They would say, I didn't leave anything there. <laughs> they had no interest in returning to Sicily at all. That's interesting. So she would go back to visit, but she didn't feel any pull to move back there. Oh, not to move, no, but we still had relatives over there. We had still had relatives uh, uh, in Sicily, but... None of the Ameri none of none of the Sicilians wanted anything to do with going back, even to visit. Huh. That is very interesting. Thank you for sharing yeah. that, Jerry. Joseph, was that also the case for your family? Also Sicilians, I know now. 
Yes, um, I, I, they've never gone back. Uh, as as far as I as far as I know, um, you know, the people that we spoke to, um, their family, uh, like you said, they they really were leaving nothing. Uh, there was there was there was no jobs available um, for them there, and you know, they were really coming in search of the American dream, which the Hill is definitely a testament to that. Um, the Hill is. Uh, you know, the, the quintessential American dream where you could come and make something um, of yourself and, and, and build, you know, build your own home, build your church, build a neighborhood that still lasts to this day. So that actually is a, that leads into a good question that came in from Twitter. This is from Jerry, a different Jerry, Jerry with a G. Um, He wants to know what you, Joseph, make of the demolition of recently occupied homes to make way for new homes. Some of these new homes priced as high as $400,000, $700,000, taking away these tiny little homes that have kind of been the, the Hills flavor through time, giving it a different kind of look. What do you make of all that? Yes, the shotgun homes are, are what make the hill the hill. Um, but I do understand um, in being down there extensively these last two years that a lot of these houses do have to, they're, they're just simply, you, you, they can't be rehabbed. They're, they're so, um, th- now that's just, you're, you're speaking of uh, very um, rare cases that uh, houses are being neglected. That's that's almost uh, unheard of. Yeah, those houses hill, are nicely maintained throughout that neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, but in, but in the rare case that a, that a home uh, is not able to be rehabbed, I do understand the uh, thought process going into uh, demolishing the home and then building a new one uh, in its place. Um, I think as long as the hill maintains its sense of community. Um, and its uh, ethnic identity in terms of the Italian, the, the rich Italian heritage that is seen down there. Um, I think the hill is always going, going to, to be strong and, and be able to uh, withstand anything, uh, especially the building of new homes. I, I don't really find that to be um, too much of a detriment to the neighborhood. Hmm. And certainly modern families um, are not always happy with just those small shotguns. They want a <laughs> lot more room than your grandparents were, were willing to live with back in the day. So tastes have changed. Yes, um, definitely. Okay, one last question from Twitter, and then I'm going to get to the filmmaker showcase, I promise. <laughs> uh, Tim on Twitter asks, this documentary sounds like the Hill maintained its ethnic purity through redlining. What's the filmmaker's perspective on how this plays out given our current events? Is this something you've thought about? I mean, obviously, whenever you're, um, you know, tackling a subject like that, you you know that um, that kind of thought process is gonna is going to come across uh, through other people's perspectives. But I think what we do in our film is show the reason why those i those those type of ideas, um, why why the things that that were done were done. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier. You know, if if these things aren't done, we're not having this conversation right now because there would be no hill. Uh, you know, this is why the neighborhood still exists to this day is because of the, you know, the Italian pride that these people had. And, you know, this is their neighborhood. They're proud of it. And, you know, when you have people living um, in the house that their grandfather built or their great grandfather built, you're going to have a sense of pride about that, about that home and about that neighborhood. And I think that that's, you know, 
really one of the biggest parts of our film uh, is showing that. And, you know, obviously, you know, uh, people are going to have, um, you know, their thoughts about the way that it was done. We, we knew that, you know, mm -hmm. we knew that obviously that was going to be, you know, probably a, uh, a topic that, that would come up. But like I said, I wanted to keep this neighborhood, I wanted to keep this film insular to the neighborhood and not really get into all of the um, outside perspectives that, that were seen of the hill. That would be, a, I'd be making a completely different documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, and there might well the be a good documentary made. there too, but you're saying that's not that's the just film not you something set I would make. be yeah. Exactly. That's just not something I would be interested in making, would be, you know, um, trying to get into all of the, uh, you know, details as to what other people were thinking about. You know, this is, this is my grandparents' neighborhood. Mm -hmm. This is something that, you know, I'm an Italian-American and obviously I'm proud of the hill. When I go down on the hill, I have an, I have a, you know, a, a very, I have a kinship towards the neighborhood because of, of what that neighborhood stands for to me. You know, when I look at the immigrant statue at St. Ambrose, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, my great grandparents that came over to this country with a dream that one day I would have a, that they would have a better life and that I would have a better life. So, you know, this neighborhood is special for that reason. And that's just not a documentary that, I, that I'd be interested in making. Mm -hmm. Well, that is filmmaker Joseph Paleo talking about his film America's Last Little Italy. And this is part of the 20th Annual Filmmaker Showcase that kicks off tomorrow. Um, and our second guest here is joining us to talk about that to give us the bigger picture on this. And that is Chris Clark, the Artistic Director for Cinema St. Louis. So, Chris, welcome back to the show. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Uh, so we've been talking a lot about America's Last Little Italy. Tell me what about this documentary appealed to you to, to highlight it in the showcase? Not only am I, am I a proud St. Louisan, I spent my youth growing up in South St. Louis on the edge of the hill. Mm -hmm. And it was always just a fascinating neighborhood with deep roots and well-manicured lawns. Thanks to um, uh, Monsignor Polizzi and great food. Uh, it was just like a world within a world, and I always loved every bit about it. Um, Joey actually made a film a couple of years ago that was a spoof of Top Gun called Top <laughs> Sun that actually won a couple of awards in this very event. A couple of years go by, then all of a sudden he presents this film to me that is a great, great piece of St. Louis history, uh, and just a well-crafted documentary with people that I recognize also includes a, a small bit from uh, former board chair uh, Kim Tucci mm. so so many things to love so many things I knew so many things I learned uh, just a, a great well-crafted St. Louis story so you mentioned that you had featured uh, Joseph's previous film this this short parody Top Sun uh, it sounds hilarious uh, by bringing in filmmakers when they're just getting started sort of beginning to learn their craft do you see the payoff they come back to you when they've then got the full-length film and and they want you to feature it yeah, this is a competitive event. Just because you make a film and send it to us does not mean absolutely we'll show it. Um, <clears throat> it's a competitive event. We have we have about 100 submissions, and we selected 78 films to be in the event this year. This was an easy decision. I'd watched about 30 seconds of it and knew that it was something we had to do. Mm. Uh, so I'm just thrilled to be able to be part of this uh, presentation. And uh, we've actually sold tickets in Italy. So there's going to be people this week watching from all over the world and all over the country. 
Wow, that is that's so cool to hear. And because this is online only, uh, you're able to do that. But Joseph, I imagine for you, when you were working on this film, you probably had some dreams of seeing this on the big screen at a festival. Um, was it hard when this this festival had to shift? Obviously, for obvious reasons. But was that a hard come down for you? Definitely. Right around the time that we had finished the film, uh, you know, we were faced with a decision. Um, do we start submitting uh, to festivals or should we hold off in hopes that maybe down the line um, there's going to be in-person festivals that we would we'd be able to share this film at. Um, but we were kind of seeing the trajectory. Um, and I believe at this time we had already known that the International Festival would be uh, online as well. Um, so, you know, there's just no there's just no telling that even a year from now uh, there's going to be in-person festivals. Mm -hmm. So we we thought, you know, why why hold on to it? Like, let's uh, let's share it. You know, um, one of the one of the big things, obviously, is, you know, when you're dealing with um, a, uh, a lot of your interviews, majority of your interviews with people over the age of 80, um, you know, one more year they might not be able to see the film mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the film we actually show all the people that have passed away just in this last um, two years so that that also played into our um, decision as to let's do this now um, and and you know I really want to stress this this film has an uplifting message um, and you know it's a very positive film um, that that shows you know um, what the people of the hill were able to accomplish, um, and I thought that you know at this at this uncertain time, um, like you've mentioned with things going on, you know around around the nation, um, with Corona and and other things, um, I thought this would be a perfect time to, you know to share this with everyone, and hopefully bring some positivity into their life. You know, so often in St. Louis, especially, um, you're hearing a lot of negative things. Um, you know, I feel like the hills is a positive thing that I want to share with people, and and hopefully uh, other people of St. Louis feel the same way and and want to uh, buy a ticket and watch our film uh, from the comfort of their own home, mm -hmm. and hopefully this is uh, you know a, a positive thing for for the city of St. Louis. Now, Chris, you've got a lot of other films. Obviously, we wanted to sort of dig into this one on the Hill because it is local history that's that's so interesting to us here in St. Louis. But what are some of the other highlights um, in this year's showcase? Oh, it's just such a wide variety of things uh, and skill levels and, and shapes and sizes and colors and races of people. Uh, <clears throat> Nate Townsend, whose father uh, was Tom Townsend, uh, of, passed away last year. Uh, <clears throat> he did a just fantastic documentary on the subject of suicide mm -hmm. uh, that was in a, recently in an international uh, competition. We also included that. Uh, St. Louis is a character, and not just in Joey's film, but in many, many of the films, because you see, not that we can, can really go outside very easily anymore and go places, but, you know, restaurants and neighborhoods and buildings and parks all over the city are featured characters. Um, the, the view of the bridges in Alton, uh, everything all over the city are great characters in, the, in these films. Hmm. Um, some are student productions, but many are just hobbyists and professional filmmakers living amongst us who just love to make films and just want to share it with local audiences. Now, Chris, it feels like it's it's enough work to launch this this big online showcase, but I understand this year you've also conducted individual interviews with 55 different film directors. These are now bonus Q&A content. What prompted you to want to go the extra mile with that? 
Well, as we reinvented our everything we do, we wanted just to make the experience as palatable and interesting to everybody. Uh, so we, we had a practice run with our uh, QFest event, which um, ended a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, where I was literally interviewed filmmakers from all over the world, and that was fun. But with this event, uh, because there's so many directors, especially in within the context of a single short subject show, there could be 12 or 15 directors. So we never have the opportunity to drag them all up in front of an audience to have a Q&A. So we decided to do this tactic, whereas we have these individual one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, as part of the stream and also on our YouTube channel where we can share the face and voice and vision of each filmmaker in a way that we couldn't before we do we'd point them out and like joey sit in the back row wave at him everybody and then that's it <laughs> uh, this way we're able to share you know little conversations and a vision of the filmmaker um i had a great time doing that in zoom studio west here in my house um it was fun uh, i had a great time like a little talk show now um, i know in addition to to the films and in addition to these interviews you're also offering a series of free master classes this year what's the idea on that a little bit, you know, part of our educational mandate to give back to the community in any way we can. So a lot of people want to know, well, hey, how can I do that? How can I be part of this festival? Hmm. Well, these are a series of four classes uh, on different topics of making a indie feature film uh, on a shoestring budget. Hmm. You know, all the aspects, you know, from fundraising to writing to crafting, casting. Uh, what, you know, if you think you want to do this... This is what you need to know. Hmm. Joseph, do you think you'll be partaking in that, either as an instructor or as somebody who's going to learn from the master class? I definitely think that uh, I'll, I'll be tuning in uh, to see some of these master classes and maybe down the line uh, I'll, I'll be a part of uh, one of these to try and share you know, what we've learned um, in doing this film for the last two years. I mean, this is a real community of filmmakers here, Chris. You're both um, showing people each other's films and then sort of giving them some insight into the process. It seems like that's uh, that's what we all need at this time when we're all sick of streaming the same shows on Netflix. Yeah, and be able to share uh, over time, over these 20 years, um, I don't have an exact number, but somewhere between 1,800 to 2,000 films made by St. Louisans. Hmm, and wow. we're very proud of this legacy, yes. So if people want to participate in this this year, I know it all kicks off um, uh, the minute the clock strikes midnight. It's it's 12.01 in the morning. Uh, people can access all these great films, all these interviews. Uh, where do they want to go to do that? The first first stop is to go to the Cinema St. Louis website at cinemastlouis.org and then get the to the showcase pages of our website. Many links from Instagram and Facebook, everything. So get there. There is a listing that describes all the programs, um, including this one. Uh, America's Last Little is alphabetically first. Ah. But then there's a series of documentary short subject programs, some narrative feature films, six uh, narrative shorts programs, two documentary short programs. So just click on the information, read what you want. Uh, there are links that take you to the virtual festival site, which is Eventive, which is our streaming portal. Um, a few clicks later, uh, it's not unlike streaming something from Amazon Prime or Hulu uh, anything like that to your big screen. So you just have their, your home movie uh, experience just like you're watching something on cable. That's great. Well, we'll also have those links on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. Chris Clark of Cinema St. Louis, thank you uh, so much for joining us again today. This has been fun. Thank you. And Joseph Paleo, America's Last Little Italy, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it.
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.